Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, we are in a series on the Apostles' Creed called I Believe. And so if you're new or visiting, you get to kind of have a, a little peer into what we've been doing over the last several weeks. We land on a week where today is about the church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. I wish I could tell you I planned it, that VBS week, we would talk about the church when we were the church all week in incredible ways. But I think God had his hand in this. And so I'm excited about where we are. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 16. We'll also have this on the screen as a matter of convenience, but it's good for you to see the scriptures so you know I'm not making this up. Matthew chapter 16, this is starting in verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks again for your presence here in this space, and I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of this scripture, your holy word. Where we are empty, would you fill us? Where we are weak, would you strengthen us? Where we are wrong, would you correct us? And would you send us out once more? And God, I pray for myself that you speak through me or in spite of me, but may it be your message that's delivered. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say, amen. Well, friends, again, for those that are new or visiting and haven't been with us, we're in the middle of this Apostles' Creed series. And some of what we're going to talk about is uh, our involvement in the church and what we believe the church is all about. And so for those of you that are visiting here, I want you to know that this is more towards our people that are in the room, those that are members and a part of this community. The cool thing about that is you get to hear about what we believe about the church and what we think is important and what was most important for us as, uh, as we approach v VBS this week and approach Vacation Bible School. And so I'm excited to have a diverse group that are here and joining us online. In preparing for today, I was looking at statistics of the church in North America, some of the trends that we see in church attendance, in church membership, in generational participation in the church, and some of the things that I found might uh, shock you, it challenged me in many different ways. From Pew Research Center in 2009, those that attended church around once or twice a month far exceeded those who attend church only occasionally or not at all. That was in 2009. Those that attended once, at least once or twice a month, far exceeded those that hardly, uh, maybe Christmas, Easter, and special occasions. By a decade later, by 2019, those numbers, those percentages were introverted. 54% of Americans nowadays say that they attend few times a year compared to those who attend at least monthly. In one decade, attendance kind of flipped in that now the majority of professing Christians rarely attend church. 
Just an interesting trend for us to see. And remember, this is as of 2019, this is not even talking about what COVID has done to the church as well. In this decade, weekly church attendance is down 6%. It has doubled as seldom or never going to church. Meaning in 2009, about 3% of Christians say they hardly ever went to church. That percentage has doubled in just a decade. What about generationally? Well, in a decade, 16% of millennials, I'm a millennial, um, I think that's everyone born before 1996, 16% of millennials left the faith and millennials are leaving the faith uh, at a higher percentage over the last decade. The, the, the uh, generation after millennials, Gen Z, uh, and other generations that we're still learning and searching, what we're finding is Gen Z and really some of the kids that we've got to see, the 300 at V, BS, they are hardly in church and they have nowhere to leave. And so when they graduate high school, what we are learning about Gen Z is at least 80% of those kids, if they were in church, will not be in church when they graduate high school. That's what we're finding. What about COVID? This was all happening before COVID impacted our church. While we're seeing a great growth in online attendance, this new mission field for churches, 288% growth in online attendance for churches in North America. We are seeing those kind of numbers with us as well. That's why you're going to see in the coming um, months and years that Marvin is going to invest and pour into this place where we reach people in ways that we may not reach otherwise. How can we reach folks that may never... um, Work up the courage it takes to step onto this big campus. Like if you don't know anyone, that we're reaching people in some really cool ways. But in-person attendance, as of April and May of this year, even as most COVID restrictions have uh, started to ease up and fade around the country, the churches are only back to about 57% of what it was in January of 2020. Meaning that we have had patterns and things change in our life that now our routines are completely different. We are making other choices rather than commitment and being a part or being present in the church every week. And why do I share these things other than starting on the biggest downer uh, you could imagine? It's because if we're going to talk about participation, participation in the church and what it means to be a part of a worship community, we need to talk about what we believe the church is, first of all. What do we believe about the church? Is it important? Is it worth our participation? Is it worth us being present? Y'all, we get to the part of this creed, and I think it leads a lot of us to kind of scratch our heads a little bit because there's some interesting phrases in it. I still remember a close family member of mine. I I won't reveal who they are because they might be watching online, but they grew up in the church. We're in the church forever. And I remember when I was first coming to faith, they called me to them and said, John Wayne, why do we profess faith in the Roman Catholic Church? He's talking about the the Apostles' Creed when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. He was confused. He didn't know what we were talking about. What does it mean to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints? Some of you former Catholics are like, yes, see, I told you. Uh, This is what we've been talking about all along. 
Well, before we can understand what this is in the creed, we need to do a little biblical work to paint the picture of what the church is supposed to be. And then we can put the calling of why we should be a part of it. We need to ask, what is the theology of the church? What does the Bible say about the church? Honestly, y'all, I wish Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, sat down and wrote a manual on church planning and what it means to be a church, but he didn't do that. You know why? Because his focus wasn't you and me. His focus were on the people that he was reaching in the ancient Near East during that time. But we can survey the Bible and learn about what God's people believed it meant to be an assembly of the church. And the first place we start is with this word ekklesia. Say that with me, ekklesia. You're going to learn a little bit of Greek today so you can impress your friends this week. Ecclesia is the called out ones, very simply put. The Greek word that is mostly translated to church in our English Bibles is this word ecclesia. Think of, again, Jesus speaking to Peter in the story that we read from Matthew 16. Jesus is speaking to him. Peter makes a confession. I believe that you are the Christ, that you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, that is right. It is on this confession that I will build my ecclesia. It comes out very specific there. So what is ecclesia? What does it mean? Well, let's look throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, you can look at the Old Testament and you can take the Greek word ecclesia and you can open up something called the Septuagint and find that word. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And so we can look for this Greek word and see what did the Hebrew people think about the church? And we find all kinds of different meanings. Like in Joshua 8, when they are gathered to receive the law, it is called an ecclesia. The people gathered together to hear God's commandments, to hear God's calling on their life. Or another example is in Deuteronomy. It's literally the assembled people of God that have come together to worship. In many ways, as Josh started the call to worship today, that he is worthy of our praise. That is saying at the very basics of who we are, we are gathered because we are assembled to praise and worship the God who we follow. Or another example is Judges 21, when God's people are called to battle. They're called together to battle. It's called an ecclesia. In many ways, as we are talking about being set apart from the world around us, when we are called together, we are preparing to live out our calling in the world. Or how about when King David is ruling, the ecclesia is the gathered people to hear God's teaching and God's message. What about the New Testament? Well, it has a diversity of usages as well. The first one you can find in 1 Corinthians 11, the people of God, when they're gathered together. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as an ecclesia, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Let me pause. Y'all, I don't want to bring a spoiler to you, but anytime that we gather together, there's problems sometimes, okay? Because when we get together, we are messy, right? We, we are broken people gathering together and sometimes our mess gets in the way. And Paul saw that in Corinthia, in Corinth and he writes about it often. Secondly, in the New Testament, we see that the ecclesia are groups of Christians living in one place, like the church in Ephesus. Geographically, it is the convenience of the people that are in one spot, excuse me, <coughs> that are in one spot at the same time called to worship. Or in Acts, it's a house of assemblies of Christians that are being led by disciples like Priscilla and Aquila. 
So when we look at all of these throughout the Bible, what is the ecclesia? What is common in all of these usages? Because they seem so basic. Well, I think it's good for us to keep it simple. There's two things I want you to see in the Bible when it talks about God's people. One is identity and the second one is mission. The ecclesia in God's word can be brought down to the basic units of identity and mission. First, identity, the church's identity is primarily and wholly based on the truth that we are called by God. Y'all, when you look around this room, there are differences. There are socioeconomic differences, there are cultural differences, there are ethnic differences, there are differences in faith experiences, there are differences in families, there are differences in life, career choices, there are all kinds of differences, but what is supposed to be shared for us is an identity that we are all God's people, that we have been called out by God. When we assemble, even walking in the door today, we make a declaration to the world that we have been called by God. That's why we get together. Otherwise, go to brunch. Why are you listening to me right now, right? There's a shared identity right there that we have an identity as being God's people. The root word for ecclesia is kaleo, and it literally means the called out ones. It means that we are called by God. The identity of these groups in the, in the New Testament had nothing to do with what people look like, where they met, who their specific leader was, where they, whether they had rock and roll contemporary music or all the bells and smells that we might see down the hall. It had nothing to do with any of that. It had everything to do with them being the called out ones, the people of God. So what does that mean for us? It means that Marvin is not a support group. You might find support here, but its primary function is not to be a support group. Marvin is not a social club. Hear me, church. This is not a place where primarily we're supposed to come together and network, okay? Our primary identity is as God's called out ones, those that have been rescued by his grace. We boldly and confidently stake our claim on this truth. Marvin is not primarily, first of all, a nonprofit, though we might do some great philanthropic things in the world. Our basic unit is our identity that we are called out by God. Nothing else has the power of transforming the world because nothing else has God at the center of it. So the first mark of who we are that we see in the ecclesia is the identity. The second one is the mission. The church is built and shaped by a shared purpose. The other thing we get from the biblical understanding of ecclesia is that they shared a purpose and that was bringing God's salvation into the world. The only time that Jesus uses the word ecclesia is in our text in Matthew 16. And in that section, he referenced very quickly a text from Isaiah where it says that God's people are to become a light to the nation, that God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Marvin, we are called first and foremost by God with one thing on our mind, and that's being a light to the nations, bringing God's salvation to the end of the earth. If we at Marvin stop talking, stop asking questions about how are we doing this, then our programs and our ministries lose its salt. And when salt loses its saltiness, it's useless. We become like, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, the light that's hidden underneath a basket. We have a shared identity and we have a shared purpose. If our goal at VBS is just to entertain, 
hear me, if it's just to entertain, then we're missing our purpose and we're missing our mission. If our gatherings, no matter what they are, from women's ministries to men's ministries to gardening, I don't know. If it is not to bring God's salvation in the world, then we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing as the church on mission. They're not mutually exclusive. When the church stops living into who we're called to be, we are no longer the church anymore. You see what I'm saying, church? So this brings us to the creed and it gives us a right framework. If this is what the Bible says, if this is our theology of the church, to be called out with a shared purpose in the world, then what does the creed mean when it turns to this holy Catholic church communion of saints? To this point, we have covered in the creed series, the Holy Trinity. If you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, we start with, I believe in God the Father. And then we turn to Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. It has several statements about Jesus. Then we turn to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And then there's like this jolting transition where it goes from the Father, Son, Spirit to the church. It's kind of weird. And the reason why is because the church and everything that comes after it is the expression of what we believe about the Trinity at work in the world. So when we talk about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the next move is to talk about the community of the Trinity at work in the world. And the first place that happens is in the church. Uh, One theologian, Kevin Van Hooser, puts it this way. Because God is three persons in relationship, the only way we can realize the image of God in humanity is to form a community of persons in loving relationship, which is the church. The church then is the community of God, not only because it has been created by the triune God, but because the church shares in the triune community itself. In one of the first few weeks we were talking about in this series, I told you, we, we talked about what it means that when we worship together the triune God, that what we believe is we're actually caught up into relationship with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you and I gather and we sing and we pray and we encourage one another, we are somehow in the community of the Trinity. If that makes your head hurt, you're not alone, but it also should make your curiosity boom. Because when we gather together, we are somehow caught up into the creator God who is here with us, infinitely powerful, but intimately personal in our life. And our creed has three statements about the church, really in these two phrases. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these. The first one, I believe in the holy church. The first part of this is the declaration that the church is holy. Holy means set apart from the world, that the church is set apart for righteousness, godliness, beauty, to be the spotless bride of Christ. Now, some of you are immediately suspicious here when I say that, because your experience in the church has been far from holy, right? that we've seen brokenness in different ways. Some of us come in here and we've been harmed from another church or we've spent our whole adulthood deconstructing unhealthy things or abuse or brokenness or difficulty that we've seen, that we've been betrayed or wrong or turned aside. Some of us had to work up courage even to be in the room or some of us may be watching online because to, to come into this room is to immediately feel like you don't belong. And so we hear these things about the church and we're like, it doesn't feel holy. How could we say that it is holy? Some of us experience at Marvin something that is far from holy. And hear me on this church, the institutional church is not perfect. It's far from it. 
If you're not United Methodist, our United Methodist denomination is walking through incredible amounts of strife right now and difficulty and struggle. Even in the news recently, another major denomination is facing a purging as decades of covered up abuse of women and children is coming up and being brought to the forefront. The church throughout history has caused harm. The church has used the Bible to enslave people. The church in many ways has been far from holy. That's because the church is built with broken people and it does not excuse it. No, instead it calls for a greater pursuit of justice and integrity because that is not a part of what Jesus is building. In Matthew 16, when he says, Peter, it is upon your confession, upon what you say that I will build my church, he means it is upon those that say, I can't do it, but you can. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. I give myself to you. It is upon that declaration that Christ builds his church. And as he calls people into that confession that will respond in humility, that will seek out freedom and forgiveness, that will love others the way Christ has called us to love, that is the church that Hades will not prevail against, as Matthew 16 puts it. That is the church that is holy. The church that Christ is building is the one that has been saved by his very life and brought into freedom by his resurrection. So when we say we believe in the holy church, we believe on what Christ is building. And we try to get ourselves out of that way, to be submitted to it and obedient to it. What about the Catholic church? I believe in the church Catholic. Y'all, Catholic means universal. And when you see this, it should be a lowercase c because we are Protestant and we are not professing allegiance to the Roman Catholic church, okay? I need you to hear that. This means that the church everywhere universally is built on this confession and we stand in relationship with them throughout all time. The ones in all times, in all places who have been called out to be holy and to share in the identity and the mission. This is who we say we believe in. When people ask me about becoming a member of the Methodist church, I typically tell them it is not the only way to follow Jesus, but I think it's a pretty cool way. You laugh, but it's true, right? We believe, and I tell my Baptists and my Catholic and my Presbyterian brothers, it's the same Jesus. It is. And there's different beautiful expressions. There's different ways that we need each other to get together in that confession so that we might find the fullness of God so that we might be the fullness of the church that we are created to be. This should also remove any arrogance about our own local church. This is where it gets awkward. When I first moved to Tyler and I was getting to know, I was an outsider, been here about a year, I was asking people in the community about Marvin and sometimes I would hear people, oh, you're going to Marvin, that. And some of that's not fair, but some of what I wanna call us to at Marvin is to not perpetuate that expression. For us to be humble and for us to get into the trenches shoulder to shoulder with the body of Christ in our community. For us to put above our agenda of what Marvin's doing, the kingdom of God, 
so that we might participate in what God's building here. That is the only way that we'll eradicate the need for a foster care system, that we will eradicate the human trafficking that's happening in our city. That is the only way that we will make movements of what God is calling us to is if we find humility and find a way to serve with our brothers and sisters that have the same confession and the same mission as us. That's how we make real change in the world. Also, this should humble our Western sensibilities. In many ways, we think that America is somehow the epicenter of Christianity. When actually, did you know that the geographical epicenter of Christianity for a long time has been in Africa and it's growing further east away from America and it's going further south? You know why? Because as our churches and mainline churches, evangelical churches in North America are declining, they are finding revival in South America, in Africa, they, in Asia. The, the Lord is, is moving in places where to be Christian is to be persecuted and thousands and thousands are coming to know Christ every day and every week in those places. And so when we talk about the Catholic church, it should immediately humble us and remind us that there are people worshiping in this confession, in this identity, and in this mission all over the world. I have worshiped in Haiti with people that have very little to their name, desperately worshiping in a corrupt and conflict-riddled country. We've seen it in the news again recently. People whose faith make me feel so small because they believe in a God that's much bigger than I give him credit for. I've worshiped in Costa Rica with Costa Ricans who gather to pray and worship every single night of the week, 365 days a year, praying for revival in their city. One of my best friends in seminary, her name was Ada. She was from Nigeria when God awoke her by giving her a vision of showing her that she would either preach the gospel or die. I was like, that's harsh. And she responded. And there she was at seminary. And one night she had me over and fed me. And I don't even know what I ate that night, but she prophetically prayed over me and showed me a faith that was so much bigger than my own. I believe in the church Catholic. It's a celebration that right now, everywhere, there are Christians that are praising the name of Jesus and many of them could lose their life for it. I believe in the communion of saints. That's when the creed turns local. This is when it turns to the local gathering of the beloved. The universal church exists only when there are local congregations gathering together, saints in communion with one another. Stanley Harawas puts it this way, saints cannot exist without a community as they require like all of us nurturance by a people who while often unfaithful, preserve the habits necessary to learn the story of God. Throughout the history of the church, the church has contained the following marks. I could give you a hundred marks of the church, but I wanted to keep it simple. This is at least what the church has always been throughout history. One, it has always been about tr uh, true preaching of the word. 
One scholar puts it this way, the word is the appointed means by which God's grace is made known to men, calling them to repentance, assuring them of forgiveness, drawing them to obedience, and building them up in the fellowship of faith and love. Scripture is fully sufficient for all that is necessary for salvation and for what God wants us to do in the world. Church, I say this often, this is not a manual on how to do life. I wish there were more answers in this. I wish there were more, what do I do when, oh, turn to 785A. That's what you do when your kid won't listen to you. I wish that was in here, but it's not. This is the revelation of the God who loved you and came in Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of all that is necessary for God's people to live into that identity and to walk in that mission in the world. And so churches are first and foremost, those that stand on that revelation, that have that confession that Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And so the first mark here is the true preaching of the word. Secondly, it is the administration of the sacraments. One quote I saw this week was, when no one, where no one is baptized, there is no church. Because when no one is coming to faith, that is the doorway into the church. And when there's no baptisms, there are no churches. That's why we make much of baptism here. Because we believe not only is it instituted by the Lord, but it is the material means through which he wants to declare the spiritual blessings and the grace over his children. It is that thing that we can touch, that we can return to, where God's grace reminds us and shows us that what happened back there is real for us even now. The Lord's Supper, it's an instituted meal that he says, do this as often as you can, in which we as Methodists believe that his real presence is most profoundly communicated and experienced in that meal. Y'all, I said this at 8.30, I'll say it again. When COVID happened, it made everything messy for the Lord's Supper for us. It's still kind of weird, right? We still don't know what we're doing, like doing cups, what is in this, is this... Like, has this been aging in a shelf forever? Is this like food? Is this edible? Like all of those things. And we wanted to hold to the integrity of this meal to not just make it something that we can pray some weird blessing and everyone everywhere can take out saltine crackers and chocolate milk and experience this. We believe that the administration of the sacraments, the place where God has promised to meet us, that this is a place that we are to break bread as often as we can to be together. What in the world? Are y'all done? Do I, did somebody throw something at me? Thirdly, it is the disciplined Christian life in the church. That's the third mark. Discipleship. It is more than being passengers on an airplane on Sunday morning. We are bent on consuming church. I, this is a whole sermon in itself. I won't do it. God bless you. We come in here and consume. When we leave here, we're going to talk about the sermon was good or bad. The worship music was good or bad. I felt this or didn't feel this. And we become consumers of what's going on. And a mark of a church is not a conglomerate of consumers, but it's people that are doing life with one another, that are helping each other to walk in this faith that we've been called to, that are helping one another to find freedom and forgiveness, to find the abundant life that is here for Christ. It is about disciplined Christian life. Listen, friends, I'll come back to where we started. These growing trends in the church are concerning. Less and less are regularly here. 
And for too long, we have separated membership from actual participation in the body. Do you know that nowadays you can be a member of a church and never attend there? That should confuse you, right? Like if you came up to me later on and you invited me to a party that you're having, you're like, hey, John Lane, will you come to this party? And I said, you know what, Brian? I'm gonna be a part of your party, but I'm not gonna be there. That would confuse you, right? Right? Come on, church. That would be confusing. And now we've made so little of being a membership of a community, of commitment to one another, that now we can be a member of a church and never be a part of what God's doing there in the community. And I love our commitment to online. We're gonna continue to reach people, make thing, everything as accessible as we can. But I also need to say today, when we talk about the church, it is important for us to be together and to be committed to one another. On the days when you don't feel like coming to church, maybe I need you here. On the days when I don't know how to pray, maybe I need your prayer. On the days when I don't feel like singing, maybe I need to hear your voices to be around someone who believes what we're saying. On the days when I don't have answers, maybe I just need your presence and ministry. Y'all, this week VBS was beautiful. 450 involved, maybe dozens and dozens more for decoration and everything leading up to it. The church present in communion, it was holy. It wasn't perfect. There was conflict. There were annoying people, right? Don't look at your neighbor right now. (laughs) There were folks that got on your last nerves, right? But it was holy because it was what Christ was building. It was a confession and identity, it was a mission. We had one little girl, at least one, who gave her life to Christ that we got to pray with and celebrate with her. We have others that are wrestling with this, it was holy. But it cannot just be a program here at Marvin. The statistics of these young people that will not be in church by the time they graduate high school, they should be sobering for us. That three out of four of Gen Z, when they graduate high school, they will not be in church. Do you know how to triple the likelihood of them being in church when they graduate high school? Help them to make at least one Christian mentoring relationship with an adult outside of their parents. And you triple the chances that they'll be in the church later on. Let me close with this. My purpose here is not to try and shame the room in church attendance because church attendance actually isn't going to change anything. It's going to be people that come alive to what Christ has for them. And my story, as I've shared with many others, is I grew up in a home when when soccer season kicked in and other extracurricular activities happened, we chose those things out of convenience And when crisis hit my family, we had nowhere to fall because we had no relationships. We had no spiritual depth in any of our relationships around us. And I feel like part of my calling as a pastor here is to help us wake up from the margins of spiritually shallow life and to know that there's more in Christ, that there's more abundant life that's available. And if we will awaken to that, then we will not be part of the statistics. Our kids might grow in a church that is committed to our identity and our mission in the world, but it starts right here with us. How are we gonna be the church today? How are we gonna be the church in the days to come? That's the question I leave you with.
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let all God's people say, amen.